Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm your host, Kurt Flegel. And today we're going to continue the journey into understanding the Enneagram. We're calling this one the Enneagram and the Way Home, part one. What's the way home? The way home for each of us is the true self that God has placed in us, the image of God that he has placed in each of us. How do we discover that beyond all the lies that we believe about ourselves? This is the journey that my guest Kim Ward and I are going to be discussing on this particular show. So let's get started. On this show, what we want to do is delve into the spiritual practices that will be helpful for each number to get through the layers of the false self that actually keep us disconnected from the core true self of who we are and living out of that here in the external world. For those who follow Jesus, you are your true self. God has already placed your true self in you, and now you have the Holy Spirit living at the core of who you are, operating out of that place. You are the fullness of the true self you could be. The rest of it is just layers of lies, you know, that we've bought into that the enemy says about God and ourselves that God wants to remove so that we can more fully experience his true identity and the true self that he has placed in us and live out of that. So there's just all these layers and hindrances, like we said, that keep us from living out of that true self. What I love about Christopher Hurt's book, The Sacred Enneagram, he calls that chapter that talks about these spiritual practices that help each number, he calls that chapter the way home, the way back to our true selves, to journey back into ourselves and reconnect to who we've always been, at least from God's point of view. So that's the basic overview for this particular show. But before we get to that, I want to point out some basic things that have been rising to the surface in my mind as I've been doing more research on this. Like, for instance, the different virtues that God places at the center of of each Enneagram type, which really reflect their true self, this uniqueness of who God made them to to be. Now, there's nine numbers. Every number has a virtue that sits at the center of it, but the way those are expressed, the way that those are accessed, how they're experienced as our true, the virtue of our true self is different for each person. But it's really interesting to me that each of these, num- each of these numbers has a virtue and that the very thing that they fixate on and, and their, the sin or the passion that uh, they go to is the exact opposite of their true self. It's amazing how much the enemy has just convinced us that we're the exact opposite of who we're actually meant to be in a lot of ways. He throws on all these layers of lies to take us the direct opposite direction from who we really are. For instance, I was just talking to somebody recently who is a a two, Mm -hmm. and the virtue that sits right there at the center of a two's soul is humility right? And they are the most loving people, right? They are the beloved. Like they, that is like what God speaks into them, the humble beloved. And yet the thing they wrestle with, right? Their basic fear 
is not being loved. Yeah. And that's the place that the enemy speaks into that creates in them uh, the desire, the need to flatter other people so that they can feel loved. And so to get to that love, what they do is they deny themselves and pour themselves into everybody else. And that's pride because God says he will never leave them nor forsake them because they are his beloved. And so even though God says the true self of a two is humility, when they buy into the lies of the enemy, they end up operating out of pride instead. It becomes their primary sin. Yeah. Or as Chris puts it, the passion. The passion, right. Self-abnegation, as he writes it, is self-denial. Yeah. So they deny themselves so that people will flatter them, so they'll feel better about themselves. And that, and when they're unhealthy, they're reaching for love by, by helping other people. Yeah. And that's all centered out of pride that they feel like that they're not being loved and they have to grab for it. Whereas the truth of A2 is that they are humility itself. They are humble and yeah. loved. And all they have to do is receive that truth about themselves and rest in that. So the unhealth is grasping. The health is receiving. Yeah. To get back home, we need to know the core truth of who we are, the virtue of who we are from God's point of view. Yeah. And then the fear that disrupts that and the wound that fear comes out of that we start having to try to fix ourselves and the passion or the sin that we are operating out of to try to fix ourselves and the way we we fix ourselves. So let's run through those to give people an idea of where we start, where we wander off to in our own health and the way to get back home to our true selves. Yeah. You want to start? Uh, so we're talking virtues here. Yeah. Yep. For just to recap, we're tra- we're talking we're going to start with the virtues. We're going to talk yeah, the virtue which and you can correct me, but that's what I call the true self. Yeah. The virtues are what your true self is underneath. Mhm. All that. So for ones, uh the virtue was serenity. Hmm. Which is a a little bit crazy when you think that they're actually one of the types that are more uh, intense and very much go-getter, like get it done, do it right. And their their passion is anger. So the exact opposite. Yes. I have, my oldest daughter happens to be a one. The holy idea for a one... Well, first, we should probably define what the holy idea is when it comes to the Enneagram. Holy ideas... The unique state of mental well-being specific to each of the nine types in which the mind is centered and connected with the true self. The holy ideas are the fruit of each type when the mind is at peace and stand in direct contrast to the enneagram's fixations in which the mind is uncentered and disconnected from the true self. Mm. So for the one, the holy idea is perfection. Yeah. Holy perfection. Holy perfection. They are to center their mind on. Yeah. And the idea of perfect to me is the best word to describe that for me personally is complete yeah all of us understand we have this this gnawing sense of incompleteness that we need things outside of ourselves to complete us that's not an aspect of the fallen world we were incomplete when god created us 
before sin ever entered into the picture. You see it in the garden where God creates Adam and Eve and puts the tree of life in the center. They've always, we always need God, and He is our life, right? Yeah. Life is not, we are not complete. We do not have life inside of us. I'm not talking about bios life, you know, physical life. I'm talking about the spiritual life that we need, the joy and the peace and love, those things that, um, that we need to survive. We're not, we're not self-sustaining. We don't have those within ourselves. They are gifts from God. They are, the, they are the fruit of who he is, the evidence of who he is. He's the sun, and those are the beams of his light that shine out of him that we are to, to bask in, right? That was always the case. Yeah. We were created to be loved by God, right? And then to love him and to reflect that love back, but we were to receive it first in order to reflect it. And so the idea of holy perfection in a one, that idea that they don't have to fix the world, yeah. but that they can, they can bask in God's completeness. And when we give ourselves over to God and let him overwhelm us in his completeness, it overwhelms our incompleteness. And the idea of that for one is let God's completeness overwhelm their incompleteness and then they're at peace, right? Yeah. They're centered on his, his holy perfection, his completeness. And that's where peace comes from. So the idea of holy perfection for one is receiving God's holy perfection so they can reflect it rather than grasping for it to make the world perfect out of their own selves. Yeah, it makes complete sense. <laughs> What's the basic desire of, of a one based out of that place of, of holy perfection? To be good and to have integrity. And, and integrity is, again, that wholeness, yeah. right? There's, Being who you say you are 24-7. Yeah, every part in its place. What Jewish culture calls shalom, mm. more than peace, right? A wholeness of mind, body, and spirit. A wholeness of soul. Lacking nothing. Well, yeah, the only way to get there, and this is what the ones are meant to reflect in their health, to have that kind of integrity is to be overwhelmed in God's completeness. Yeah. And that gives us that integrity, right? We live out of that goodness of God, that integrity, that wholeness of Him, that He is complete. Yeah. Now the but, the now big the but. but. What's the fear that, that comes into that? Oh, so for type 1s, the fear is of being bad, imbalanced, defective, and corrupt. And let's go down and talk about the wound that fear comes out of, right? They are in, I believe, in what's called the, the frustration types. For a 1, the wound came out of something in, the, in childhood. And it typically comes from those who are our caregivers, right? Yeah. What was the wound for the 1? Typically, is they're frustrated the protective caregiver didn't safeguard enough, so they compensate by assuming a self-protective stance. I would like to say that, that it's more their perceived way their world happened that puts all the responsibility on outer forces. On the parent or on the, the caregiver. parent or the caregiver or whoever, but really it's how we experienced our life. So you get people who grew up in these amazing families who still come away with a, quote, childhood wound, 
when their parents didn't necessarily actually wound them in that way, like not like with their physical actions, but was how it was perceived. Okay. Well, and it could be both, right? It, it could, could be, be both. They, we're all imperfect. We're all incomplete. Yeah. And so we don't, ha- this is why we all need God. Yeah. I'm a good parent. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's not pride. I am a better parent than my parents, but that's yeah. the way it should be. That we grow and learn from our family of origin stuff, right? Yeah. My full ex- expectation is both my girls will be better parents than I will be. I want that for them. Yeah. But still, I've wounded them because I'm, as good as I am, I'm incomplete. And I have my areas, and they will too. So there are things that I wound them that aren't just perception. Yeah. I definitely have created wounds in them. In my moments of weakness, when I knew what I was doing was wrong and was too tired to care or or too self-centered at that moment to care, I wounded them. But there are other things that I didn't wound them that they perceived. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a balance of both, which is probably another reason that I love Chris is because he, as he says, is an omni-enneagramist. Because there's so many different theories and thoughts within the Enneagram community. And his joy has been to embrace the best of all of them and not to discount any of it. Yeah. Which occasionally makes for a really long read, but um, also leaves you open to not reject things and and to accept the best of what's being offered Mm. to you. Just to be clear, I think we've said it, but it's Christopher Hertz, and we're talking about his book, The Sacred Enneagram, but you've mentioned another book. Yes. Um, He just recently, in the last few months, had a book come out called The Enneagram of Belonging, Mm. which I am only a little of the ways in, which is... One of the many reasons that we are not talking about that one as well, besides the fact that that would be way too much information for everyone. <laughs> but I, I have found it to be very helpful. There's been some stuff in the new book that uh, was kind of an, oh, wow, I need to think and process on this more, mm. but it's changing the way I look at some things. Oh, that's good. I like the title. I like the yeah. belonging part. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> it means a lot to me personally. Yeah. So back to the type one. So perceived or actual, yeah, exactly, experienced wounds, which come from one or both parents. There's two parents or two caregivers, and one typically... One or both um, didn't safeguard the one enough, so they they compensate essentially by self-protecting. And that's the place where the wound comes out of, and the fear of being defective and corrupt comes from this place of not being protected. Yeah. Interesting that there are two caregivers, typically, that we all need. And even if one parent or both are absent, that doesn't negate the fact that we need a nurturer and a protector. Yeah. And if both are absent, then there's the wound right there that they didn't give us what we needed. It's really interesting to me when it comes to the idea of the protector and nurturer that it doesn't necessarily have to be a male or female role. It's just one parent or the other. For, for instance, in our family, I'm the nurturing caregiver, as identified by our oldest daughter, <laughs> and my wife is the protector. Yeah. And, yeah, there's the wound. 
and the fear that we've talked about the fear that comes out of that now we go back to so what's what is the sin or the passion yeah. like, that the type one lives out of uh, it becomes anger they're in the anger triad the, the gut triad <laughs> the gut triad uh, or the body triad depending on you know whichever different one you want to go with on that one yeah and it, it becomes a resentment that's the fixation that's, that's their the thing fixation where they put their focus yeah it's in unhealth because it's never quite perfect enough they're not perfect enough and all the people around them aren't so because mm. they keep striving for a perfection that they can't reach in an imperfect world it brings up a lot of anger and a lot of resentment mm. towards themselves and towards the world at large and that's a big one for a one it's first directed at themselves yes the resentment, the, the idea of being corrupt, the condemnation for de- being defective is first aimed at themselves yeah. way more than uh, others. Everyone else just gets the overflow <laughs> of that. Yeah, I can testify that that's true. Unfortunately, with that nice one wing I have, I am well versed in uh, that aspect. The nine with the one wing. Yeah. And the wings... For people, again, to understand, the wing is whatever number is on either side. You can have characteristics of either of the numbers on either side of yours. For the nine, you're in that position of being last on the Enneagram, but it's in a circle. (laughs) So there's the eight on one side and the beginning, the one on the other. And some people say you can fluctuate. That's definitely... Between um, the numbers. And a person can actually be a nine and move to an eight wing at times and move to a one wing. Yeah. It, it does seem to vary. I have... There have been a few occasions, not many, where I would definitely say that my eight wing suddenly picked up. And I unfortunately <laughs> then had to clean up the mess that my eight wing left for me. And I can say to your credit, Kim, that I've rarely experienced that. Yeah. That, it's very weak in comparison whereas I do experience the frustration and the wanting everything to go well and being extremely critical of myself Mm. I I definitely experience a lot more of those just in my personality especially with how I grew up Mm. I heard a lot of critical comments so it became the voices in my head that I have to fight against you agreed and adopted those voices yeah, so but, I do, do recognize the resentment because who doesn't want a beautiful, perfect world? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a bad thing to want it, right. but but to get to the point where you're angry and frustrated and resentful for it, it, it becomes a place of unhealth when you allow it to stay there. That's the grasping. We're yeah. grasping for it, which means we're we're moving out of our own energy and power to try to make it happen. Yeah. Rather than resting. And the promises of God of who he is, who he says he is, who he says we are, and what he's doing for us. And that's, the unhealth is the grasping, and the health is the receiving and resting. And it's interesting that this is where it starts. The virtue for ones is serenity. And so how does a one get back home to their true self? What is the spiritual practice for a one? I think it's important. We probably should have talked about it beforehand. But when we're talking about contemplative prayer practices, 
they all start with three basic things that are necessary for all types, which is silence, stillness, and solitude. Solitude. And so all three of those are critical in terms of do, in terms of having a practice of of a contemplative prayer life. We need all three. But for ones, so eights, nines, and ones. So anything that's in the body or gut triad, stillness is the place to start. Because the lies that all three numbers have believed are I am what I do. That goes for all three of those numbers. So if I am what I do, then stillness gives you a place to just be rather than do. Yeah, which is where we all have to start, which is why, as we said, all three of these are crucial for all of us. Yes. But especially for those three numbers, the eights, nines, and ones, because that is the lie they've believed, is that I am what I do. Yeah. Then being still is that place where they can kind of have a reset to recognize I am still good, I am still who God created me to be, just being still and being with Him. The simplest Mm -hmm. description of that in the scriptures is Ephesians 4.10. You are God's masterpiece, created to do good works. So the doing is second, created by Him to do good works. But first sitting in being the masterpiece. Receiving that, understanding that you are God's masterpiece that he adores. Think of people who go to a museum like the Louvre, like a a gallery, art gallery, and spend their money and their time and their energy staring at paintings, Mm -hmm. right? Soaking them in, in adoration. God's like, you are my masterpiece that's worth more than every painting that's ever been created across time in history. And this is who I am to you. I just sit with you and adore you and gaze at you in absolute just love and awe of who you are. Be with me. Be that masterpiece by being with me and soaking that in. That's the place of being. Then out of the overflow of that, out of the health of that place, we can do. So, so we all need silence, stillness, and, and solitude. solitude. First of all, that's where we find God's adoration for all of us. And that, you know, we find that, that we are his masterpiece. And the uniqueness of who we are, for instance, in this case, it's the one hearing, you are serenity, you are my peace, yeah. and, you, and you are complete in me. Like, let me fill you with my completeness and live out of the, of the glory of my completeness. Our world is so fast-paced that it robs us. I should say we allow it to rob us mm-hmm. of stillness, silence, and solitude. And so, yeah, that's really interesting to get back to those things. So which one for the one is the one that they need to practice on an ongoing basis out of those three? Out of those three, um, stillness is is the crucial one practicing just sitting and being and they talk about the welcoming prayer which is the one that they recommend for all three eights nines and ones which is it's one that you're supposed to do in a moment by moment basis when something throws you off kilter because all of us in the instinctive body center types which is how he puts it we tend to experience life as if it's constant body blows being thrown at us Mm. That's the eight, nine, and one. So the eight, nine, and the ones, yes. 
So welcoming prayer is literally welcoming God into the middle of all of that. Um, so they say you first focus on feel and sink into the feelings, emotions, thoughts, sensations, and commentaries in your body. In other words, take time to look at what's going on because you're an instinctive type. So take that moment to be still. Is there, do I have a sharp pain in my shoulder? Is my neck bugging me? What am I feeling? Notice for me, one of the things that I notice is, I'm, am I grinding my teeth? Or my shoulders bunched up intense? Yeah. And I, that, I find that oftentimes that I realize, oh, my shoulders are like, my, I got my back up. Like my shoulders are way up. Yeah. And I literally physically relax. So it's noticing the physicality. The physicality and your feelings, emotions, thoughts, everything that's going on. Taking the time to actually acknowledge that. And finding your mm. tension, tightness, soreness, pressure. And acknowledging that it's actually happening. To God. To God. And then you go, then the next step is to welcome him into those places. Yes. So welcome God into the feelings, emotions, thoughts, sensations, or commentaries in your body. He calls it somatic. Because who doesn't like using big words? <laughs> Or words that not a lot of us use on a regular basis. I, I don't think I've ever used that word outside of today. Somatic would be like... What you physically feel in your body. Okay. I made sure to put my Good. translation in here. <laughs> but, Good job. So pray with your somatic discomfort or pray with what you physically feel, the discomfort. And then ask God, what is it telling you about your fear or your sense of being out of control or your lack of trust or your anxiety? So ask God, what is this saying about what's going on right now? And then when everything, when the intensity of the body sensations or emotions begin to subside, so you literally have to sit there with God with it till it starts calming down. And then let it go by repeating the following sentence. I let go of the desire for security, affection, or control. I let go of the desire to change this feeling or sensation. And then as you pray, recognizing that God is with you in these moments. Mm. And then you're just, literally you're just letting it go. Yeah. Which is so important for numbers that experience things so intensely within their body. That's a reactive action, yeah. right? But to get to reaction as a habit, mm. we have to be proactive. It's just like sports, right? <laughs> to get your body to respond in a moment, like you have to train it. To be in the game and, and have your body, without even thinking, move towards the ball that's being thrown your way, and like in football, you have to do a lot of proactive training to get to that reactive moment. Yeah. And so what I find is what you just described, everything you just described comes out of proactively being still mm. and noticing those things, acknowledging those things, yeah. and then you said welcome. I, I call it the two A's. Mm -hmm. First, acknowledge what's going on in your body. And then ask God to give you a greater experience of his love. In that place where I'm feeling empty. Yeah. And you def definitely I agree with what you were saying. Because it has to become a practice. I mean, and that's the whole point of this stuff, right? Is we're building practices into our lives. Yes. To help us grow. Well, the way you do that is by actually practicing it. Yes. Which means making that time. Everyone has five to ten minutes a day mm -hmm. to start off with, with yeah. something like this. Admittedly, I've fallen a little bit out of practice with some <laughs> of this lately. But I did notice a big difference when I was making it more of a regular part of my routine. Mm. It, it helped. Mm. 
you know, and because then when you're in the middle of it and you're responding or reacting to it, it becomes more of a habit to go to the good practice instead of back to your safety or coping mechanisms for dealing with what's going on, which it can be easy to do. So stillness is definitely hard for instinct. Oh, it's hard for all of us, but because ones, eights, nines in the instinctive center are goers, even if the going is just to back to sleep <laughs> for the nine, <laughs> for the nine. <laughs> It's very hard to be still and to be intentional about it. But we also need to look at what our posture is when we're coming into those places. So there's three different postures that you come into it depending on which number you fall into. And this is the eight, nine, and one. So um, this is for all numbers. Okay. Um, okay. Because it's actually split up differently. Okay. For this section. <laughs> so there's resting. There's there's numbers that need to rest in whichever practice that they're doing. And what does that look like? Um, so that could simply mean like, so for once, let's go for once because it's what we've been talking about anyway. When it comes to stillness, their intention when they're going into it needs to be resting and it's resting in God's love for you. That is why you are going into that. You're going into it in a place of just relaxing and calming down and taking the deep breath. Hmm that needs to happen in the middle of that. So that's different than, let's see, who else goes into stillness? Oh, I do. The nine. As a nine. But nines have to go into it with an attitude of going into it to engage in stillness. Because honestly, we're really pretty good at the not moving thing. Yeah. <laughs> or at least I am. Um, <laughs> The not moving is not a problem. It made yeah. compl- contemplative prayer actually was pretty easy, except for the accidentally falling asleep part. So it's going into it in an attitude where you're going to engage. So for a nine, you're going into it with the attitude of let it, letting it actually bring an inner grounding. So when you're going into stillness, I'm going, okay, I am here. I am present. I am engaged with the stillness. And letting God speak to me in the middle of that. Whereas twos, you know, one's just going back to rest in God's love for them in the stillness. Yeah. So there's difference. But there's still an acknowledging and an asking for each number. Yes. So the acknowledging for the nine is being honest with God about the tendency to fall asleep. I know that my tendency is to fall asleep to these things, to ignore these things. So, which is really escape, yeah. not rest. So God, help me engage in rest. That's the asking part. It's yeah. an acknowledging the tendency, asking for God's help, and being at a place to, be, to receive what he has for you, the love he wants to reveal in that. So we've really showed the way home for the eight, the nine, and the one. Yeah. And we've walk through the virtue or the true self of the one and the, the desires, the fears, all of that, yeah. the wound. So since we're here at the eight and the nine, what's the, what's the authentic self of an eight? So, or the virtue is innocence. Whoa. <laughs> innocence. Okay, that's amazing. Because yeah. I wouldn't see that as, <laughs> uh, as an eight. Yeah. 
person. Having a <laughs> almost 100% sure eight sister, I have a little bit of a hard time. But then again, imagining that. Yeah. But again, that's what the enemy always is doing. He's always covering up the truth of who we are by creating layers of lies that point to the opposite of who we actually are, who God says we are. That's the point of what he does. So it's no different for the eight. God says, this is who you are. You, at the core of who you are as an eight, you're, you're innocence. And so the enemy works to give the eight the mindset that they are the opposite of that and the behaviors to live out of the opposite of that. So anyway, so the, so the holy idea for them is for, the, holy truth. That's at the core of an eight, holy yeah. truth. And that makes a lot of sense. They, they want the truth of it. They want the truth of themselves. And the truth of everyone around them. Yes. And a lot of what they, you know, the eight is the challenger. A lot of what they challenge is anything that goes against the truth. Yeah. You know, and that which, where you can see a lot of the, the angry prophet mentality <laughs> that happens where, you know, they're telling the truth, yeah. but it's out of anger. Or as a certain sibling of mine like to say, a, she's a passionate communicator. <laughs> so, yeah, so the virtue that God is saying, is telling the eight, is that you, your innocence is, is there. Yeah. Yeah, you have that. That childlike innocence is truly who you are, no matter what, no matter how much the lies of the enemy try to layer over that. That's the truth. Yeah. It's beautiful. So what's the eight's uh, basic desire? Uh, the basic desire for an eight is to protect themselves. Mm. And their fear is of being harmed, controlled, and violated. So their desire is, is, is to be protected from, from being violated and controlled. That's healthy. That's, that we all want that. Yeah. But this is where the enemy gets in and works to twist that the wound that they've yeah. endured into a fear that creates the place where they pursue it. So what's the wound? They're under the rejection types. Okay. Um, they felt controlled by the nurturing love they were offered by their caregiver and rejected it. So they over-identify with protective energy. That's interesting. So out of the two caregivers, it was the, the nurturing love of one caregiver that they experienced or perceived to experience mm -hmm. as controlling. Yeah. That they nurtured and loved out of an ulterior motive to control. Yeah. I mean, who of us would want that? Yeah. That makes sense. Which makes their fixation, vengeance, and their passion, lust, which is not not a sexual lust, but a lust for, not necessarily, but it pretty much every book goes. It's, it's really that passion for life, that drive for everything to be experienced to the full. Yeah. And in a place of innocence, that who among us lives life to the fullest but a child? Yeah. Right? That, that drinks it all in, that, that goes through life totally drinking it all in. The, the picture I have is of watching a father and daughter walk hand in hand down the sidewalk by my house one day. Mm -hmm. Dad was just trudging along, his hand in his daughter's hand, and she was skipping and singing the whole <laughs> way. 
Like, that's the picture of the innocence that God says, this is how who you are, right? Drink it all in. That yeah. kid in that innocence is drinking it all in, right? And that they feel like that's been taken from them and they have to protect themselves from being harmed, controlled, and violated. Yeah. And we talked about the way home for that is... Yeah. Is, is still once again through being still mm -hmm. and for them it is consenting to stop resisting God's love yeah consenting to, to consent to God's love for them and to just let it wash over them because the filter of that perception of the controlling caregiver they begin to tie that to God they listen to the lie that that's what God is like that the enemy takes that wound and speaks this lie that, oh yeah, that's God, and the, so they have to protect. So here, the only way to experience the true self of in, the innocence and the love, the innocent love of life that they are meant to live out of is to consent, to acknowledge that God is not that controlling caregiver and his love is given without strings. Yeah. And for them to receive it. All right. Nine. I wonder if we know any nines who could help <laughs> with this. Of course not. You don't know any nines at all. Nope. So the, the virtue for a nine is action, which, of course, actually makes complete sense when you think about <laughs> the fact that, you know, that's the exact opposite of how a nine sees themselves. Yeah, false self. Yeah. And false self. And, and the coping mechanisms, right? Yeah. They come out of the lies of the enemy. Yeah. And their holy idea is holy love. Hmm. Share a little bit about that. What does that mean? So, nines being <laughs> who we are, it's actually what we long for the most is love. I think we've talked about, I talked about it on one of the first ones where we, we fear disconnection. Hmm. So we long for that connection where we fall under the attachment types. Hmm where we're longing for connection with people, but it also exhausts the snark out of us. <laughs> um, so the idea is, is that love is what is most important mm -hmm. in the nines world at the heart of it. That's what we're striving for is, is that holy love that brings peace to both mm -hmm. the inner, in our, our inner world and our outer world. I love the holy love again idea like again like the holy perfection is that that's the completeness of what god offers without any strings attached what the eight needs to experience too is yeah. there's no strings attached god is not giving us love to gain something back he is wholly complete in himself that's perfection again and so he gives his love out of the abundance of his infinite self yeah and doesn't doesn't need anything back not looking to gain anything he just gives out of the overflow of who he is. Yeah. And that is holy. That is different from the love, holy being different. Yeah. That is different from the love that we all give. Yeah. You know, to some degree in this world. Yeah. Basic desire? Uh, to have peace of mind and wholeness. So the peace of mind and wholeness comes out of a place of connection, of, of being loved? Yeah. Yeah, to, to actually be connected with the people that you're around. Hmm. And, okay, so the basic... The basic fear of a nine is of being lost, separated, and fragmented. 
Huh. Yeah, that's again that that idea of fragmented, right? Like yeah. Being broken out, being divided, the opposite of shalom, of wholeness and integrity. And where does the wound come in for a nine? So we fall under, like I said, we fall under the attachment types as a nine. We attach the energy of both the nurturing and protective caregivers and subsequently become capable of self-nurturing and self-protection. Gotcha. So, or as we say in the other book, we kind of learn to fly under the radar. Hmm. Because what we experienced is that our thoughts, opinions, and what we wanted didn't matter. Right. You're attaching to the energy of both the nurturing and protective caregivers and yet not getting it. Yeah. So you just learn to take care of yourself, hmm. even though it's not what you really want. And so that leads to how do you take care of yourself? <laughs> what what is the nine? What's uh, the nine's passion and fixation? Well, our passion is sloth, um, which is not actually necessarily physical, although it, it can spill into that. But it's the kind of just not paying attention to your own spiritual needs and spiritual growth. Falling asleep. Falling asleep, which is how I (laughs) end phrase it on a regular basis. To your own needs. To to my own needs, whether it's spiritual or physical or emotional, because you're so busy just trying to keep what little bit of peace you can inward and outward at the same time, which is extremely exhausting. Mm. Um, Which is why you fly under the radar, because all the energy is, is is given to... Keeping your inner world sort of at peace, or at least quiet. From fragmenting. Yeah. And so the fixation is indolence, which is the same thing. It's, as I, I think I said it last time or the time before, it was the idea that I just couldn't put the effort in. The like, idea it was, it, no matter what I did, it wasn't enough, so stop trying. You couldn't put the effort in. Uh, yeah, like, you you just kind of, you don't try. Hmm. Why try? Why try? Because it's not going to work out. So yeah. it's a hopelessness. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a hopelessness to that, especially when you're on the unhealthy side of it. But thankfully, as we've already talked about, God offers the way home for the nine, which is very similar to the one in the eight at stillness, as we've talked about. And I think this is where we're going to stop here for today. We've covered the eight, the nine, and the one. And I think that's good for this this show and we'll pick it up again next time when we talk about the two the three and the four so please check out our next show and until then here's some information you may need to know if you want to get a hold of us for any reason if you have questions you have concerns you want help with anything or you want to support what we're doing you can reach us at life hurts god heals 2020 at gmail.com life hurts god heals 2020 at gmail.com we also have a facebook page simply called life hurts god heals you can like us follow us and then you can make comments or ask questions there we would love to hear from you and until next time may the lord bless you and protect you may the lord smile on you and be gracious to you May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Take care.